as we enter this new century, uh, I think something that we're all very aware of is that we cannot have the world that we all wish for, uh, a world of choices, a world of full participation for everybody, a world of human dignity, human security, unless women who are half of the population or more are fully engaged uh, in the whole process. We still are facing major problems. We know that about 70% of the poorest people on the face of the earth who live on less than a dollar a day are women. And we know that uh, of the 855 million illiterates in the world, more than 70% of those uh, are women. And they can't be wholly engaged, fully uh, involved, unless they're empowered to do so. We're looking at empowerment and leadership in new ways. Leadership is about how we collectively shape our destiny. In reality, within the family, the, the woman is a leader. Within the community, she's a leader. What women have tried to do is to transform that notion of power. To create that kind of power has no barriers, it has no boundaries. The information revolution that has happened the fastest growing uh, explosion of communications means in the history of the human race. We're talking about radio, about uh, satellite television, we're talking about uh, internet connections, email connections, and so on, all forms of technology. This is something that has brought about a whole new set of possibilities and potentials. Each of us can, by doing something relatively small, if we're doing it together, and using the internet, using the World Wide Web, enables us to do things together. It is also, I think, a very good opportunity for Muslim women especially, and then I underline Muslim women, to project another image of them. We are capable, we are energetic, there are fantastic women everywhere. Women in the Muslim societies, they are leaders of their own right. At a point when we had four uh, Muslim women as prime ministers, uh, I think many women uh, uh, in Europe and in, in the United States didn't even uh, achieve that uh, uh, positions of uh, uh, political power. So, and these women have been uh, democratically elected literally by 350 million men, so that tells you. The future is actually using women's leadership to transform the nature of globalization and also to transform the kind of technology, the use of, of the technology in such a way that it could lead to the empowerment of women. Now what is really uh, equally important when we talk of leadership and empowerment is the word power. Much of how we experience power is in the context of hierarchy. Now, it's often practiced, as we know, as a win-win situation, and it's viewed as a limited commodity. Now, if I have more, you have less. This practice of power, we know from experience, devalues participation. It silences voices that could otherwise bring to the table different experiences and different knowledge that could bring, that could really bear on the kinds of problems and issues we're concerned with. We have suffered tremendously as women in terms of power over the kind of patriarchal use of power, the kind of hierarchies which, which we have seen. And what women have tried to do is to transform that notion of power. 
We want to change the entire nature of leadership to deal with creation of shared meaning, shared goals, shared aspirations, in which everybody works together toward commonly defined goals. And uh, this is something that uh, is new in the world. It's something that women have brought to the table. I believe strongly that you became a leader because people want you to be a leader. They choose you to be a leader. I didn't really plan to be a leader, but once I developed a program, I became like a, a woman that I am capable of doing everything, even miracle. I can't say that I'm really a leader. Uh, I try to, um, to do what I believe is correct for the society and for women and men for the families as a whole. I'm a leader that can take decision uh, by mind and heart. I think leader is somebody who's uh, ready to pay uh, uh, energy, time, and, uh, and uh, able to give uh, all the time more than what uh, can be uh, paid back. I think the first step in, in being a leader is to uh, recognize that one is one and, and uh, to want to be one uh, and then to see if other people will also uh, want to uh, involve themselves in, in the collaborative process whereby we, we become leaders. I recall an, uh, an American woman, uh, she was a civil rights leader, it was 1975, I think 74, I was in Houston at the American National Women uh, uh, association conference and then uh, I think uh, then it, she was Mrs. Ford who introduced this woman and then she said this is what she has done da 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 then this woman comes she picks up the, micro the, the microphone and then she turns to Mrs. Ford and she tells her well I'm very sorry I don't think you have mentioned all my accomplishments and then she turns to women and she says hey you women don't ever be ashamed and don't ever be humble nobody's going to recognize your accomplishments except yourself however the line is very thin between recognizing your accomplishments and being very humble about them. A women uh, leader in our societies uh, need to recognize that there are param parameters in which she moves. Uh, and these parameters, first of all, have to respect uh, the cultural boundaries in which she performs, including how she looks and how she wears and how she acts, because these uh, establish the first perceptions of her. And any father or mother would say, do I want my daughter to be like this person? I think it's very important for any leader, and specifically a leader in a Muslim society, to understand the real beliefs and the um, uh, thoughts and especially religious beliefs of, of the community and deal with it uh, with uh, full respect and understanding and trying to search and find the... Uh, values of human uh, uh, being, uh, dignity, freedoms, and equality from within the culture. The other thing about being um, a, a leader in a, in a Muslim society is we also have to respect that we do not endanger the girls, especially the youth that we work with, in the sense that taking them so much out of their cultural context, they can't fit again. They need to be proud of what they have but they also they need to know what needs to be changed. So uh, uh, high school, uh, we were all very, very courageous and naughty girls, and we were leading demonstrations in the streets of Tripoli, and uh, then the university. 
And I think that's, you know, was the, an, uh, the major turning point in my life because in, in the university environment, I definitely started to feel that now the segregation starts. Now you are the women who are really uh, not supposed to enter the cafeteria. We had to stay uh, behind the window to be given our sandwiches and the rain was falling. And then one day I asked my friends, we're not going to accept that. We have to go in and whatever happens we have to face it and we decided to enter the cafeteria the male cafeteria and as if a bomb was exploded and a leader would be the one who knows the ultimate goal where we want to go but who would walk with the people step by step and learn from them knowing where she or he uh, are going together and i think if we can do that uh, we will succeed. A lot of people are wondering what is ICT. I, I will begin saying that there is the I, which is information, there is the C, which is communication, and there is the T, uh, which is technology. Information and communication technology is basically any device, any tool, be it radio, be it television, be it a computer, that a person can use to communicate to the world and get back whatever it is that the world can give back to them through this medium to in order to elevate their living status, to equip themselves to become better leaders, rulers, uh, citizens. This can be a tool for empowering women that has not been equaled in, in, in history. Uh, and uh, it is a tool that allows interactiveness. It allows for people to determine their own wishes, their own aspirations, their own priorities, and their own ways of learning and teaching. I never thought that computer could help me, but you know, uh, computer is a technology that I am devoted to it. One thing that the computer has made my life easy because I'm communicating with my staff and I'm writing continuously email back and forth. And the second thing, you know that the children over there, they learn education, but they don't have a curriculum, they don't have a books, they don't have material. And if they want to learn advanced knowledge, there is no way that they can learn and there is no university for them. So once we develop this computer program for a human rights workshop, that we have a data bank in Persian and in English, that everybody can go and get resources from it. You can call it that is a woman-centered resource as, as a computer. Our computer is right now like a, like a library, like, a, like anything you can think of it. And one computer, one person sit five, six person behind that person watching what this person is doing. So they are, everybody is very excited in their learning. We trained one of my colleagues actually on how to use the computer. And we set a computer in her area where she's in the north where they don't have much access to computers and internet. And uh, she started using the computer by typing her reports, by, you know, producing everything, not having to write. And she's now very happy about it, that she's asking, I want a printer, I want a modem, I want to use all these facilities. So, which is great. I think it's uh, one of the wonderful things to know that uh, women, when they have access, they are very committed. Uh, this is one of the things that I learned about women, is that, um, just give them the information, give them the access to it and the services.
and they'll be able to really uh, implement that with all their uh, you know, uh, strength to be able to do that. My mother was illiterate. She's a very, very strong woman. Illiteracy doesn't mean weakness, doesn't mean ignorance, doesn't mean that they don't know what they want or they don't want, you know, or they don't feel the injustices or they don't aspire. I can recall, for example, my mother, you know, walking with the little transistor, the radio in her hand, you know, listening to that, you know, program, the women's program. We had uh, a very famous uh, uh, woman who was uh, having a women's program, and my mother would never, ever miss that program. And I think that little transistor, you know, in her hand that was moving with her from one room to the other, I think has also uh, definitely uh, uh, affected the way my mother has been uh, able to bring us up. Since Africa is the continent with the worst communication infrastructure, what it meant very frequently is that people either don't get information at all, or when they get it, they get it and can only react to things that have already happened. We never get to participate in shaping events, in defining events, in deciding how things are going to be. We have a situation in Nigeria. In my office, for example, we haven't had as much as three hours of electricity at once any day, I think, in the last year. So if you don't have electricity, it means that the only way you can possibly do it is to use laptop computers. So that's what we have. So what we do is we subscribe to a number of listservs, and we spend time downloading them and reading them. And then we forward them on to the 60 or so women's rights NGOs who have email and the 80 or so mainstream human rights NGOs that have email. But then also we download them, print them, photocopy them, and then post them out once a month to the whole series of much smaller women's rights groups across Nigeria who don't have telephones and therefore no email access, never mind internet access, and who otherwise wouldn't have access to that information. And with that information, we have, we've had a lot of response. I believe that we can use the media all the tools that globalization is using, whether it is the ICTs, whether it's the simple media, and so on and so on, to give the messages, not only of the women, but of the culture of women, the culture of the country, and so on, that is something that is beautiful, it has beauty in it, it can be respected, some of it can retained because it's good for the community, but some of it needs to change. And I think it's a way of dialoguing with the outside world, so we do not look as if only what is coming from the West is the model. The model is what we can create in our own circumstances. And ICTs is a way of dialogue across borders, across uh, nations, across nationalities, across religion. And it is also a tool that can leapfrog a whole lot of uh, issues that we've had before. For instance, until even a couple of years ago, we were uh, completely overwhelmed with the question of infrastructure, of uh, telephone wires, of hundreds of thousands of villages in, in, in countries such as India uh, where there had never even been a telephone, let alone uh, computers, uh, and how to deal with this problem when you're connecting, when you're networking, when you're uh, trying to uh, learn and teach. In the implementation of the Arab Women Speak Out project, 
the, the women get together to discuss and self-analyze their own situation in relationship to the video they have seen. And these uh, role models of the women who came from this similar background. In uh, one of the workshops in Lebanon, uh, we used to ask the woman, uh, you know, go home, share what you have uh, gone in the session today with your uh, family, with your neighbors and relatives, and come back and tell us what has uh, happened. So one of the women, and I remember her name, uh, she, she's, her name was Muhammad. She came back and she said, uh, now listen to what happened happened to me yesterday. I said, what? He, she said, you know, I was cooking. Very busy because I had come, you know, went back from the session late and uh, my children were coming for lunch and I didn't have uh, ready in time. So I was very busy. And here comes uh, my husband and he says, uh, somebody is, um, has come to see me. Can you uh, please make us coffee? And she said, I remembered what we were discussing. So I turned to him and he said, don't you see I am busy? Why don't you make it? And I just saw him going, taking the coffee pot and making the coffee. And I was so astonished. I said, you're going to make the coffee? He said, yes. He said, you've never done this before. And he said, you've never asked me to do it before. إنها قصص من العالم العربي قصص نضال ومعاناة وإنجازات تتكلم عنها نساء استطعن إيجاد فرص جديدة لأنفسهن ولغيرهن. And the purpose here being the family and not her own uh, development alone. It's not the Western model, whereas the uh, independence, the self-development for oneself. والآن سوف يشاركنا خبراتهن مع إخواتهن في العالم العربي. In every video we show the husband. The husband is there as a support, as a believer, and so on. So it is not like, you know, uh, empowering over, but with, together, for. I'm going to focus on a piece that was done by Aino Salesh Kendra in Bangladesh called In the Name of Safety on the issue of safe custody. To put it bluntly, it actually authorizes the government to incarcerate, or at the very least, to place women and or children at risk in custodial care uh, until recently in prison in fact and some of these women were victims of rape or some of the children were homeless and so there's been quite a bit of movement around the issue so what we've done is taken a short piece of that film we're broadcasting it online and for every feature that we that we profile we have a story section we have an act now section, which is very important, ways in which people can get involved in online activism. So here we have a draft letter. And when you talk about the issue of self-representation, I think one of the most important philosophical and political tenets of witnesses that it's about enabling people to articulate themselves in their own voices. None of this is going to substitute for concerted grassroots action and one-to-one -one communication with and for people affected by any of these issues. But at the same time, the internet really enables us to present a message that is not mediated by the broadcast audience. Most of our rural arts come from the rural areas where women are. What it does mean is they ha actually have to leave their homes for weeks at end, go into the city, sell their wares, and come back with raw materials. Through the use of ICTs being available at the telecenters, they can now market directly onto the internet what they need, build up uh, a portal where they can record their sales, 
order whatever raw material and have that transported to them instead of them now actually leaving their homes, their villages. The other thing is that they're now actually bringing money into the community. It's no longer going to the going outside using you know transport to take them and basically taking the money out of the community. It's now coming in. Even where there are a couple of cyber cafes, but they're very expensive. So um, there, there's one in Lagos, which is and the standard charge is about a thousand naira per hour, which is what ten dollars, which is nothing on a first world salary. But when you consider that the minimum wage is now, I think, 10,000 naira a month. That's one-tenth for one hour's use of the internet. What really it scares me, though, who controls this? Who controls these, you know, tools? You know, the North controls them, the rich controls them, the West controls them, the government controls them. So if the people don't start, you know, moving forward to see how they can share in this control, then I don't think this can be a solution. One of our main objectives is to be able to bring this extraordinary tool to everyone, especially to, the, to, the, to women and, and in uh, the developing world. Uh, and, in order, and to do that, not simply to bring this tool, the technical aspect of it, which is rather easy really in the long run, but to bring with it content, uh, to bring with it uh, the kind of culturally relevant, uh, locally produced materials that will have some meaning uh, for the peoples of, of, of the uh, developing world. The importance of women becoming cultural producers, that culture is not a given, culture is made. Uh, culture has been produced over the, the, the ages and what has um, been given to us as, so to speak, our culture is a process, is a very dynamic and fluid process. Women have to become central figures and decision makers and leaders in the production of popular culture. The role of women uh, in terms of uh, producing information, producing uh, added value uh, information, and I would like to end there now, added value information is crucial in all the societies. It's crucial in Muslim societies, it's crucial in any society. What is really interesting for me is how fast this technology has grown. And, but then at the same time, we also know that this technology will only benefit those who are well placed in their knowledge to use this technology or in terms of the language. And this is very much the access issue. The issue of who, in fact, have access to the new wealth, if you like. Especially as society is evolving into more and more a learning society, a knowledge-based kind of society. And I call this a new wealth, because if you look at what is happening to our societies, when it was an agricultural-based society, land was the basis of wealth. When it shifted on to an industrial-based kind of society, the means and control over production was equally important. When it, sh when it moved to a service society, the capacity to build your alliances, to, prov to bargain and to fight for the right kinds of prices is extremely important. But when you move to knowledge-based society, those who have access to the technology, but also those who have access to the generation of what is regarded as knowledge, 
is extremely important. And therefore, the whole definition of what is knowledge and what is learning and who, whose knowledge is being learned. If you don't have the abilities uh, personally as an individual or as, or as an organization to analyze the information, to structure the information, to organize the information, and to do a kind of data mining, you can never benefit from this information because too much information is almost no information. You have to spend human time and human energy to find the things that are valuable and then mark them and disseminate them, etc. The good news is that you have to spend, uh, people have to spend a lot of time and a lot of energy looking for what's valuable. What does that mean? That means that's opportunities for women. Some people say that uh, computers or being linked to communication, internet or email or whatever, allows women to uh, privately, while they are at their homes, to link with public uh, sphere, public issues. In a sense, this is very true because in the isolation of a village or in isolation of a home, uh, the new technologies have allowed us to cross to America and come back while we are sitting where we are. And this means that women in a secluded environment uh, would be able to link with women in other secluded environments and talk to each other and share experiences. So in that sense, yes, that's why I'm saying it, this technology transcends boundaries and transcends uh, cultures and so on. Um, so in that sense, yes, it is a learning experience and it's women's first entry into a public sphere. However, it is hoped that that participation eventually does not remain isolated in that room, but would go out into the community and become an active participant in her own community. We can use all these tools for collective learning, for exposure to the outside world, but with discussion of what does it mean to us, to the women in that community. What we did in 20 years was equal to what we were able to do in two years after using the, the new technology. It's very important for women in Muslim societies because their voices are not often heard in the global dialogue. Because I'm proud to be an Arab, I'm proud to be a Muslim. The issue is not just one of access to the technology, but also of the issue of leadership and empowerment within the framework of the generation of that kind of knowledge. Any person can be leaders on their work by taking their, their own decisions. We want to change the entire nature of leadership. Because we want a better society, it's not because we want to deny our society. It's, it's because we want to shape a better future for the next generation with a more equitable social and economic development. Our agenda is a political agenda, it's an economic agenda, it's a social agenda, it's the agenda of our countries.